Welcome to Basecamp, where men join together to seek deeper understanding of authentic manhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. If you're looking for the next level in men's ministry, join us and experience a life of Christian fellowship with men sold out for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May God be praised. It's always good to be up here. Um, I look forward to it every time and I dread it every time. This is a particularly meaty passage in the uh, Acts of the Apostles, so we're going to get right into it. Let me have a, add a quick prayer. Lord, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, my God, my rock, and my redeemer. Amen. Acts chapter 2. How did we, uh, the church commences, I'm going to talk about commences in a second, the day of Pentecost. How did we get here? Well, be, uh, obviously, we got here through Christ, the cornerstone. Last week, Alec took us through a great uh, presentation on Acts chapter one. Kudos to Alex. Again, have to do a little Greek study now and then. Kudos, uh, the DOS part comes from the same Greek word from where we get doxology. So praise God from whom all blessings come, especially presentations of my brothers, other teachers here. Today we're going to talk about Acts 2. We're going to continue the building of the church, if you will. So what's the origin of Pentecost? Uh, first line of uh, chapter 2 of Acts, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now this always kind of made me scratch my head uh, when I read this line, the day of Pentecost came, like it was already a thing. No, wait a minute, Pentecost is a Christian thing, right? Uh, Pentecostal churches and the day of Pentecost, that's, that's all Christian. So how could they have come together for the day of Pentecost? Well, it turns out there's a little more to the story, a little behind it. Uh, one thing, and I'm, I'm not typically in the habit of giving a bunch of answers, but take a look at that. Pentecost is also called the Feast of Weeks. It's a celebration of the harvest and of the giving of the law and is one of the five major Jewish holidays. In Hebrew, it's also called Shavuot, which, which simply is the plural of the word week, weeks. And in Leviticus, it is um, prescribed that seven Sabbaths after Passover plus one day, so seven Sabbaths gives you 49 days, plus one day gives you 50, you're gonna have a festival to celebrate the harvest. There, you're celebrating the fruits of the wheat harvest and you're celebrating the law given to Moses, which was traditionally um, seen as having happened 50 days after the start of the Exodus. In 2022, Pentecost will be on June 5th. Well, actually, in Judaism, it will start at sundown on the previous Sabbath on June 4th, and will run through the next day. So, but on the Christian calendar, it'll be Sunday, June 5th. So, in short, Pentecost was already a thing. So that, that eased my mind on that passage. Let's talk about a few parallels in, of Pentecost between Judaism and Christianity. In Judaism, Pentecost is celebrated 50 days after the Jews leave captivity in Egypt. In Christianity, 50 days after Jesus leaves the captivity of the grave. In Judaism, it celebrates the giving of the law. 
And Christianity celebrates the giving of the Holy Spirit, or if you will, the writing of the law in our hearts. In Judaism, it's celebrated with leavened bread. Now you may recall that the feast festival of Passover, 50 days earlier, was celebrated with unleavened bread. This uh, to um, signify the haste with which the Jews had to pack up and run out of Egypt, didn't have time to let their bread rise. Well, 50 days later, they're in freedom. They have time to let their bread rise. They celebrate with leavened bread. In Christianity, we celebrate the leavening of the church. Now, I thought, oh, this will be a great parallel if the word leaven is actually makes a good verb, which it does, as a matter of fact. I just went to the uh, dictionary, look up leaven as a verb to permeate and modify or transform something for the better. Pretty good. I didn't, even, I didn't go to like the Bible dictionary. That was just dictionary.com. Pretty good definition of leaven as a verb. In Judaism, they're celebrating also the first fruits of the harvest. And in Christianity, we celebrate the first fruits of the church. So what happened on Pentecost? Four things we're going to talk about that happened. The Holy Spirit entered the church and entered the church. Peter addresses the crowd that's congregated. The crowd responds, and then the church commences. Okay, let me give you a little apology for this word commence. The best word I could come up with, I didn't want to say the church began. It didn't begin then. Christ was the cornerstone. But it moves out with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk a little bit about that, and I ask for your grace for not finding a better word. Number one, the Holy Spirit entered the church and entered the church. Okay, Jack, what's up with the uh, redundancy here and what's up with the capitalization? Well, what I'm trying to do here is draw attention to two different ways the Holy Spirit entered the church. One, the, the Holy Spirit entered the church temporally. At a time and a place, the Holy Spirit came in. Now, what I'm showing you here is a picture of a ceiling of a uh, cathedral in Austria. And uh, what you, and this is called a Holy Ghost hole. It became fashionable during, uh, in the medieval times to construct cathedrals with a hole in the ceiling through which the Holy Ghost could enter. So as if without the hole, he couldn't come in. Um, now this one has a particularly uh, beautiful feature. You may not can see, I'm gonna see if I can zoom it in, but right here in this circle is actually a little dove suspended on wires below the, uh, hole. Maybe you can see his little feet here, his beak, little wingtips. I don't know, it's kind of hard to see in this blow-up. Maybe you can see the wires coming down. So is Matt Ross in here? I don't see Matt, but maybe he could get up on the ceiling, cut a hole in the sanctuary for us. We have a Holy Ghost hole. Also, the Spirit entered the church eternally, the capital C, the church body, the body of Christ Receive the Holy Spirit once and for all. For all of us, I have it. Dallas, we know, has it. Everyone who has accepted Christ as their Savior, been baptized into the body of believers, has the Holy Spirit eternally. Well, so how did it happen? Um, Luke writes it like this. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. He didn't write it exactly like this. He actually wrote it in Greek, but... We'll, we'll give it to you in English. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near the Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? And crowds always wanting to take the high road said, well, it must mean what? They're drunk, right? Thanks, way to go for the high road there, crowd. What does it really mean? Xenoglossia, you always get a good Greek, uh, Greek lesson from me. Xenoglossia, um, literally translated, the tongue of other peoples, all right? The, what they were hearing was their own language being spoken. Now, um, there are other parts of the Bible Paul talks about speaking in tongues, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. The Greek word for that is glossolalia. So that which indicates more of a indistinguishable speech, a babble, a, a gibberish, if you will, which if there, was, if there is someone present with the gift of interpretation of tongues, they can tell you what this person who is filled with the Holy Spirit is saying. That's, that's glossolalia. Xenoglossia, these folks were actually hearing their own language, a real language being spoken, but a language which these people would not really have any um, business speaking. They have no training. They did not go to uh, DLI to learn Median or Pamphylian. So has this type of thing happened before? Um, we're talking about the, the voice of God, the Spirit descending and voices as fire and, and, and speaking in multiple languages. Well, traditional Jewish interpretation from the Midrash as it relates to the giving of the law of Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 20 says this, the children of Israel visualized the voice of God as a fiery substance. Each commandment that left the Lord's mouth traveled around the entire camp and then came back to every Jew individually. And God spoke in every language known to man. God's voice as it was uttered split up into 70 voices in 70 languages so that all the nations should understand. Now you won't find these words in Exodus 20. You do find allusion to the people being near to where God was. But whether you consider this extra biblical scripture or not, you can know this is a story, this is an interpretation that would have been familiar to the people gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Shavuot, with Peter and the apostles. So they are now seeing something that they've heard of all their lives. It's happening in front of them. This would have been very familiar to them. So let's go back even a little farther. It's another little interesting tie-in with Pentecost. We go back to Genesis 11. And there was a group of Israelites that said, come, let us build ourselves a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. This is a story of Tower of Babel, yes. And God said, sure, come on up. Well, not exactly. This is the uh, artwork I found to uh, illustrate a bunch of people standing around having 
at least started on a tower, but they can't understand what each other are saying, and they're a little bit frustrated. And the God had said, I will frustrate them, and we will call this a place of confusion, or Babel. What happened at Babel? At Babel, man pridefully tried to ascend to heaven, and God had an answer for that. At Pentecost in Jerusalem, heaven humbly descended to earth. Similarly, as it had happened some 30 years early, as heaven humbly descended to earth in the form of a babe in the manger. Pentecost reverses the curse of Babel and foreshadows and anticipates the drawing together of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. I know a few words in a lot of languages from, you know, being a pilot and flying through Europe, I learned to say hello and goodbye in a lot of different languages just to talk to air traffic controllers. I think there's something about speaking to someone in their language that reaches them. And it it doesn't even have to be a different tongue. It can be when the, um, you know, sometimes I go back to Texas, I talk to friends who are sheep and goat ranchers. I have a little bit of that in my background. I can talk that language. When you can connect to people where they are, in their own language, in their own um, vocabulary, this is how you reach people. We are drawing together every tribe, every tongue, every nation when we reach out to people in their language. What else happened on Pentecost? Well, Peter addressed the crowd. After this great thing had happened and the crowd had taken the high road, oh, these guys must be drunk, Peter dispels that notion of drunkenness saying it's only 9 a.m. They're not drunk. Evidently, that was enough to convince them. I hope that would work for all of us too. Peter speaks as one with authority. He stands up, he essentially, he, he directs the crowd, he teaches the crowd. But why shouldn't he? What had Jesus told Peter? Two things, what did he tell Peter? You are the rock. On you I will build my church. What else did he tell him? Feed my sheep. Told him that one three times, had to get it through. Feed my sheep. And what does man live on? Not bread alone, but every word that flows from the mouth of God. So Peter did nothing more um, uh, intricate than stand up and tell them the word of God. He quotes the scriptures, specifically the prophet Joel and the Psalms of King David. And through the word of God, he points them to the person and work of Jesus Christ. What a great way to witness to people. Use the word of God. Feed his sheep. His message was great. I I think a a wonderful model for any pastor wanting to structure a a sermon, three points and a hook, right? Or if you're into country music, three chords and the truth. Amen. This Jesus, this is what I like about how Peter does this. This Jesus, he puts this article, this, in front of Jesus. I don't know exactly why, but it's almost like a poke in the chest. This Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God, as was promised to King David. This Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, as Joel prophesied. 
And this Jesus has poured out what you now see and hear, as you yourselves have just witnessed the Holy Spirit descending in this place, temporally in the church. That's his three points and then the hook. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Lord Kurios, Master, he's given him the throne of King David. Messiah, Christos, he's made him the anointed one. He is the Messiah. I, I read this and I could hear Psalm 118 coming through Peter's message. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. If, it, if you want to get a sense of how the people feel at this point that Peter's just talked to, change that you in there to I. This Jesus who I crucified who lived a sinless life to die on a cross for my sins, has become Lord and Messiah. So what's Peter do then? Be a good mic drop point. However, the crowd responds. Now, and thankfully, in this case, it was a little different. I don't know, it seems like so many times you hear, and then the crowd gathered rocks to stone him. Not in this case. Thank the Lord. They responded and said, having been cut to the heart, they said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter has now testified that his Jesus, he's presented his Jesus to the crowd. As you might present Jesus to someone and hoping for them to say, what shall I do? And you can be ready with a response. Repent, be baptized, save yourself from this corrupt generation. I like the word that's used here in the Greek for corrupt, scolius. Does that put you in mind of any word? Scoliosis? This was a crooked generation. He's saying, save yourself from them. They need straightening. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, that's a pretty good uh, growth. That's, it's given the church number, they say, somewhere around 120 at the time, the start of this day, they get about a 2,500% increase. I bet Marty would love to get that kind of return of investment on one of his sermons. Then what happened? The church commenced. The church moved out. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowships, to the breaking of bread together, to prayer and generosity. Gentlemen, think about cutting that part of the little list out here and putting a magnet on your refrigerator. That's not a bad set of things to start your day. Say, this is what I'm gonna do today. Now I wanna call your, um, by way of teaching, I call your attention to a couple here. The breaking of bread together. There's sort of two camps. Does Peter mean, or does uh, Luke mean communion? The Eucharist, Holy Communion, uh, bread and the blood of Christ? Or do they just mean having a meal together? And there's a couple of camps. I kind of fall down on the, on the, fall in with the second group. Gather together with your brothers for a meal. 
In the Jewish tradition, once the prayer is said, this meal becomes a holy event. It becomes fellowship where we are taking in the gifts of God. And when I gather together with my brothers on a Friday at Anita's, um, it is, it's a great event. And, and I encourage you to, to follow suit. The other one, to generosity. There's a line that says, they owned all things in common together. Um, some reading about this, that some will take this to interpret you shouldn't own anything. The church shouldn't own anything. Everything should be communally owned. Sort of this kind of Christian communism type of, of uh, flavor to this. And other scholars say, eh, nah, you share, you give. It's like a family. It's like I call up Mike Peliquin and I say I need to move a half a yard of gravel. He's got a big Ford F-350. It'll carry anything. And he says, sure, bring it back. Leave a case of beer in the back seat generosity. Now, of course, um, there is the corporate generosity. Give to the poor, give to those who have need as you have the ability to give. Gone. Maybe that's probably the end of my 20 minutes. (laughs) How did they do this? Grumbling and complaining and dragging their feet? No. With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of people. This is like me walking out of church on a Sunday afternoon, probably until, you know, the first guy on Fairfax County Parkway cuts me off and then I've lost it. But at least for that 10 minutes, once I walk out after Marty's sermon, I've got a glad and sincere heart and I'm praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved because they devoted themselves. They had glad and sincere hearts. A few parting thoughts. I probably shouldn't have called this parting thoughts because it almost makes it seem like some sort of afterthought. This is really sort of uh, um, important. Pentecost commemorates the last of the once for all works of Jesus. That is, he was born, he died, he rose, he ascended, and he gave the Holy Spirit to the church. This sets the historical context of the Jesus that we present to others. These are the things that Jesus did. Peter, in his address to the crowd, uses these events and the scripture to testify to Jesus' life, his sinless life of service. His crucifixion, his resurrection, his exaltation, his salvation, and all the prophecies that were fulfilled through these events to set the theological message and importance of Jesus. And then by providing two witnesses, his two witnesses were the apostles and the scriptures, Peter validates his testimony to the assembly using the contemporary, using the law uh, which says the testimony of two witnesses must be sufficient to establish the truth. This provides a contemporary framework within which to present Jesus to an audience. So therefore, the Jesus we present must be historical, theological, and contemporary. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Jack, I didn't just have 12 people with tongues of fire on their head and a big wind from heaven come down. How do I present a contemporary witness of Christ? Be careful what you ask for. That's you. You have the Holy Spirit within you. 
the change that Jesus has made in your life, you testify to this as a secondary witness to the apostles, testifying the difference that Jesus Christ has made in your life, adding to that the scriptural references, the, the historical existence of Jesus, this helps you present Jesus Christ in a contemporary, or if it helps you, a personal way. All right, discussion questions. I'm out of time by only a couple minutes though, thank the Lord. Um, I'm not gonna read them for you. You can read, most of you, Dallas, ask Don to read them to you. Um, thank you so much for your attention, folks online. Thank you very much, and uh, we will talk to you later. One for all.